Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. What's the greatest commandment? Anybody? Love God, yes? And the second? And love your neighbours yourself. Yes, indeed. As I've been reading um, my Bible over the summer, I've just been struck at how littered the whole Bible is with those two things. And uh, so in the spirit of it spoke to me, (laughs) I thought, which is what we've been doing over the summer, I thought I would just um, share some of these things. So in Luke 10, um, Jesus is talking with um, some of the experts in the law and they decided they're going to test him. And so they say to him, what's written in the law? What, how do you read it? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? <laughs> and love your neighbour as yourself. That's how he summed up the whole of the law, the whole of the the writings, the teachings of the Old Testament. Very interesting that um, that's how he put it. In Romans, Paul says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, Love your neighbour as yourself. There we go again. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. You can read about that in Galatians as well. And the whole of 1 John, John's first letter, talks about love. How God is love. How we, um, if we love, then we belong to God. And if we don't, well then we're we're a liar. And um, we see that again and again and again. The Ten Commandments, which which Paul just mentioned, he mentioned some of them. Lots of people know the Ten Commandments. Anyone who's been to Sunday school has probably learnt the Ten Commandments. Uh, Not that I did as a child, I have to say, but um, there we go. And the first of those commandments, the first couple of those, well, God said, I'm going to read them to you, okay. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So he's talking about the people of Israel who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of any living thing in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them in or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god then he says you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god for the lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name now we could have a sermon on what that means i'm not going to talk about what that means right now but the first three commandments are all about our relationship with god about the fact that he is God, only he is God. We might put up other gods, 
But they're not the ones that we, the one we should worship. There's one God that we should worship. And we shouldn't be worshipping anything else. We should be loving the Lord our God with all our soul, heart, mind and strength. And then there's one that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this is where I think the commandments sort of transition into um, loving your neighbour. Um, because it says that on that day, the Sabbath day, so one day in, in seven in our tradition, I did live somewhere where they had an eight-day week, so it was one in eight days. And even though it wasn't a Christian group, they did have one day a week um, where they ceased from their labour. Um, anyway, um, I digress. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So God says you need a day of rest. It's a day to God, for God. It's a day, we have the privilege, usually, of, of having a day in our calendar where we can concentrate perhaps more on God. I know it's not the same for every job. Um, I know there are people who do shifts and, and, but we have that privilege of being able to take a day that we devote to God, that we spend perhaps more intentionally in his presence. But also, it's a day where we shouldn't be expecting other people to work. We shouldn't, um, if we have employees, we shouldn't be making them work on that day, for example. So it's, it's that sort of crossover. The day belongs to God, the day is also rest for people. And then it goes into a series of commandments. Honour your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. And you shall not covet your neighbour's belongings or people. That sort of transitions into loving your neighbour. You treat your neighbour, your family, could be your family, could be your um, employees, your colleagues, your friends, your neighbours with respect. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. But I was quite intrigued in one sense to find that um, in, in other places in the Old Testament that same thing that Jesus said is, is explicitly said. We can sort of derive it from the commandments we can say these are about loving God these are about loving um, your neighbor but in Deuteronomy 6 5 if you want the reference hear O Israel this is verse 4 the Lord your God the Lord is one here it is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength Then in Leviticus 19.18, for anyone who wants to look it up, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. Interesting. In there, it's actually giving us a bit of practical stuff there, isn't it? Don't seek revenge and don't bear a grudge. I have to say that I hope I never ever seek revenge, but sometimes I do bear a grudge, and I have to come before God and work on that. 
Um, the book of Amos, which um, I'm not going to read, uh, but the book, the book of Amos, which is later in Israel's history, is a prophetic book um, where Amos gives lots of um, prophetic declarations to Israel. And all the way through, up until the last chapter, it is unmitigated judgment from God. And then there's a word of hope right in the last chapter. So I'm not going to read it out to you. Right. But here are the things that God is judging them for. You treated the people harshly. You took captive whole communities and sold them. You sold the whole communities disregarding a treaty that you had with them. You killed the men, you slaughtered the women. Your anger was unchecked. You ripped open pregnant women. You burned the bones of Edom's king. You rejected the teachings of Yahweh and have not accepted Yahweh's decrees. You've been led astray by false gods. You've sold people. You've trampled on the poor. You've denied justice to the oppressed. You've committed sexual abuse and thus profaned God's name. You've misused items that have been pledged to you by other people. And you've made, it says you've made the Nazarites drink wine. The Nazarites were people, who were people, not a people, were people who made a vow to God that for a certain time, one of the things they wouldn't do is drink wine. Right? And God's judging Israel because they made those people do something against the promise they've made to God. Interesting. That almost all of those things involve how they have mistreated other people. And in the middle of that, there's also that they have rejected God's teachings. Again, then, we find that in this judgment... Most of it is about how they have treated people, mistreated other people. And some of it is about how they have not in right relationship to God. Again, it's the same thing, isn't it? They need to be in a right relationship with God, loving God and loving their neighbour. It's about those two things. Micah, this is probably a verse that lots of people know, Micah 6.8, if you want to look it up later. It says that he, i.e. God, has shown you, O mortal, so you human beings, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There it is again. Relationship with God and relationship with people. And it is just littered, as I said, littered throughout the Bible. It's not just something um, that we come across in the New Testament. Not that that, you know, if it was, it wouldn't mean we should ignore it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it, God has been consistent all the way through Scripture that what he wants is for us to be in right relationship with him 
and right relationship with people. And our right relationship with him outworks itself in our relationship with people very often. So as I began to think of this, well, okay, it's all right saying that, but what does that look like? Um, and I, if Jesus is our example, that's a perfect human being, how did he live this out? He taught this. How did he actually live it out? If you read through the Gospels, or when we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus often goes and spends time alone with God. Sometimes he takes his inner circle with him. But very often he goes away on his own. After John the Baptist is killed, executed, Jesus goes off to be on his own with God. When he's facing his own execution, he goes off and spends time alone with God. And many other occasions, we're not told necessarily that there's a reason for him to do that, except that he wants, needs to be alone with Father God. It says, he says that he only does what he sees the Father doing. How can he see what the Father's doing unless he spends time with the Father? Um, and I think that's, it's, it's often quite interesting, and, and I know we probably all know this, but I think it's good sometimes just to be, it's good for me to be reminded, so I'm just reminding you, <laughs> that, um, I've lost my train of thought now, but that, yeah, if we look at Jesus, sometimes he demonstrates in his life the way he lived his life what it means to live out the teachings that he gave we don't know all his teachings we've got some recorded in the bible but um, he lives out what he teaches and he lives it out from a place of spending time with father god Um, and i think that's uh, a great example to us So how does Jesus then love his neighbour? Well, obviously, the ultimate is that he gave his life so that we might have salvation, we might know God, we might um, belong to God. But while he was alive on earth, what did he do? How did he show the love of God to people? How did he love his neighbour? And some of the things, I think, might be quite surprising. Anybody know what the first um, miracle that Jesus did was? Yeah, he turned water into wine. It was at a wedding, the wine had run out, and he turned water into wine. I think some people might disapprove of that. But a very practical situation where people had run out of some wine. He changed water into wine, provided something that they needed in that context. 
He often healed people. Sometimes he cast out demons. Occasionally he raised people from the dead. Lazarus being a notable one. When he was teaching, he, and there were thousands of people listening to his teaching and they were hungry, he provided, miraculously provided food for them. The woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't judge her. What he said to her was, I don't condemn you. Go away and sin no more. And he also preached that the kingdom was near. So Jesus did something he only he could do in that he gave his life for, um, for our lives, really. Only he could do that. Only he could purchase salvation for us. But these other things that he did, what struck me about them is that they were very practical things that met people's practical needs in that moment. And I know, I was in a conversation with somebody recently and just, we were talking about um, the church and uh, what's the role of the church? Okay, that's a very big question. But we were talking about, you know, the, the, the difference between meeting practical needs and preaching the gospel. And uh, some people think what we should be doing is preaching the gospel only. Some people think what we should be doing is meeting people's practical needs only. And actually, when we look at Jesus, he did both. Um, in, when Jesus sent out the, the 70 or 72 disciples, he sent them out to go and... Does anybody know what he sent them out to go and do? Huh? He sent... Yes, all right, so I'm getting them from people. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and preach that the kingdom is here. In other words, they were meeting some very practical and spiritual, but practical needs and preaching. Yeah? Things, those things go together. And... Um, And we can't just take one and discard the other. Say, well, I just preach gospel. I was on a train once when I was a student coming back um, from university and I was with three of my non-Christian friends on this train coming home. And this man walked up the carriageway and he was kind of just muttering to himself and handing things out to people. And I thought, he's a Christian. <laughs> And um, so when he came to our table, I tried to engage him in conversation and just say, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, blah, blah, blah. And he couldn't do that. He just looked at me, looked very embarrassed, muttered something and handed out some tracts and walked on. And um, as you can see, because it's very many years ago that I was at university, that struck me a lot. And um, I mean, presumably he was doing what he felt God was telling him to do and, and uh, you know, he may have had some fruit from that ministry, but there's, there's, um, there's a place at which we need to engage with what's happening around us. And sometimes preaching the gospel isn't the first step. 
It's actually engaging with people. We do need to get to that step. Um, but sometimes we need to meet people where they're at. Paul is very good at this. Um, Paul in the Bible was very good at this. Um, and he would meet people where, where they were at. He saw an inscription to the unknown God. And he took the opportunity to say, oh, I know who that God is. Let me tell you about him. He met them where they were at. He dealt with a need or, or, or a situation in their culture that they had. He met that and then he took the opportunity to speak about Jesus. So where am I going this, with this? You may be wondering where I'm going with this. On a very practical level for us, I'm just going to take a few moments in, in a moment to think about this. What can each of us do this week, first of all, to spend some time with God? You may have, I know there are people in this room who have a very good disciplined routine that they've had maybe for decades. I, I, I do this, I spend time with God at this point of the day, this is what I do, spend time with God at this time, and this is what I do. But for many of us, life is somewhat more fluid than that. <laughs> um, and so I'd just like to, to um, encourage us to think, is there something I can put in place that is practical for me, so not I'm going to do two hours Bible study every day, is not practical for many people. Um, is there something I can do? It might be while I'm washing up or loading the dishwasher, I put on a worship track that I listen to and I'm just reflecting on it while I'm doing that. It may be that I say, okay, I'm going to read a psalm every morning. I'm going to read on it, I read it and I'm going to reflect on it every day. It may be um, when I'm walking back from taking the kids to school, I'm going to spend some time praying. If I'm not actually with somebody else talking with them, I'm just going to spend that time praying. You know, fit into what you're... <laughs> I don't want to give lots of examples, but is there something that's practical for us that we can incorporate regularly in our lives that mean that we spend a bit of time reflecting in God's presence? I, I, I suspect that as we do that, actually, we'll want to do more and more and more, um, which is how our, our relationship with God grows. But I'd just like to encourage us to, um, to put something in place regularly. And I think being consistent is quite, for me, is quite difficult because every day is different and, you know, all the rest of it. But is there something practical that we can do? that will help us um, and become a habit uh, that we can spend time with God. And the other thing I was thinking about is, is there something that we can put into our lives where we are loving our neighbour? <clears throat> that might mean doing something practical for somebody else. It might mean, again, spending a little bit of time praying for somebody. We're all at different stages of, you know, t 
time pressure, health, fitness, everything. So I'm not trying to burden anybody with anything. I don't think that's what the gospel is about. Um, but is there something that we could each do? Um, or is there something that we need to bring to God where we know that we have been bearing a grudge or not been treating somebody well? that we need to bring to God and just listen to him and hear what he's saying and maybe even put something right. Um, so I'd like us to spend just a few minutes, there's not a few minutes together in prayer, or just, a, just a few minutes for reflection. Are there things that, those two things, is there something we could do where we can just spend that time with God? Is there something that we can do that means that we are loving our neighbour? For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.